Production notes for the high ground. We had some sort of a snafu over in shipping. We never got that box of wigs. All we got is this uh, spray paint, uh, gray and black, but I uh, hold the phone. I may have solved my own damn problem. Genius, you strike again. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So support the binary by putting a gray or black streak in your hair and let's re-engage. Welcome once again to re-engage. As you can tell, I have some opinions about the hairstyles on the high ground. We'll talk about that. Uh, My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host this evening or this daytime or this in-between melange of time. I don't know where you're at, but I do know where Greg Tito is at. How you doing, friend? I am doing good. I am excited about this one, mostly because of the hair. It really is a fantastic <laughs> hair thing, Pipe Le Pew would say, anyway. <laughs> uh, Eric Gratton, how are you? I am doing okay, Kate. It's great to see you. I like this one. The The hair stuff reminds me of Polgara from the old Belgrian uh novels when i was a kid she had that long gray streak through that raven dark hair anyway continue everybody great to see you (laughs) hi jimmy g how do you feel about spray painted hair miss kate i'm excited to talk about space catholics and galactic protestants it's gonna be a good one (laughs) yep 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 the sneeches Well, this is Stardate 43510.7, an air date of January 29th, 1990. So we skipped a couple weeks there. And uh, Greg, what's happening in the world around us? Well, January 28th, the day before this aired, uh, I would assume on a Sunday, was Super Bowl 24. It was at the Louisiana Superdome in the New Orleans. San Francisco 49ers beat the Denver Broncos 55 to 10. This was the one where they just nailed them. Oh, so happy, young Kansas City fan. Oh, what a great game. Uh, I remember this very well because my history professor, uh, who was from Denver, came in. And I was in a high school in Germany. The game is broadcast live, so it's on at like three in the morning or something. Uh, And he came in exhausted and very pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yeah. He was just not, not having it. Yeah. Not (laughs) having it. Very upset about his Broncos losing. God. And this was, this was Joe Montana was the MVP. Jerry Rice caught like four passes, right? Four TD passes or something like that. It was a lot. Love. Love, love. It was a lot. Not so great was on this day, uh, the trial against the Exxon Valdez captain, Joseph Hazelwood, began. Mm. If you remember earlier in this, uh, or or actually early uh, 1989, uh, it was March 24th, 1989, the Exxon Valdez went to ground up in Alaska and spilled more than uh, 10.8 million gallons 
Damn. Of oil up there. Well, that is that is more than twelve. It is more than twelve, and the, you know he was widely reported to be like drunk at the wheel. I remember that being the whole mm-hmm. news story was that he was. People had testified that he was intoxicated, but then during the course of this trial, they proved that uh, he was earlier in the day, but at the time that it happened, he was not. I challenge uh, anybody out there, anybody listening, to say they've never dreamed about being wasted at the wheel of an oil carrier. I know I have. <laughs> what? It's on my bucket list. That big deck, the ocean in front of you, the sea breeze, you just got a gimlet, you're sipping on it. Oh, swaying in the the rocking ocean waves. Come on. <laughs> I'm convinced. They go like five miles an hour. I'm kidding, Alaska. I think, Jimmy, I, I've been remiss in not asking you to plan my bachelor party. So <laughs> I, think, I think that that just did it. So whatever you charge, here we here go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're going tanking with, uh, uh, what was the name of the, Dennis Hopper uh, from that movie Waterworld. Waterworld. Right. Going tanking. <laughs> Don't worry, boys. We got enough cigarettes to last through the apocalypse. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, moving on from oil spills, uh, January 31st, two days after this aired, uh, the first McDonald's opened in the Soviet Union in Moscow. <laughs> in the news again. Yes. Didn't they didn't they just say that they were pulling or suspending business? Correct. Oof. Uh, and that's what was going on. Thank you so much, Greg. Here's what was happening in the <laughs> entertainment on pop culture world on the music scene how am i supposed to live without you by michael bolton come on such a burning love song with those tendrils just in the wind you're talking about the hair or the vocal cords yes the tendrils sounded like these shredded little things just hanging down there he hit the notes, but I was like, how do you speak after singing like that? <laughs> he gargles marbles. Yeah, that's incredible. By the way, that's my new warm-up. Gargles marbles. Gargles marbles. <laughs> the number one movie was Driving Miss Daisy. Huh. Also a play. I believe a play first. Uh, Correct. Yes, thank you. I, I learned something in school. Remember when it used to go that way? When you used to go from plays to movies and not movies to plays? It's true. It's always been a two-way street. It's just the traffic has increased somewhat recently in one direction (laughs) (laughs) and on the video game front uh nintendo shipped the super mario brothers 3 game for the nintendo entertainment system in the u.s that means we missed the premiere the premiere of the wizard uh that movie where you got to see that like six months early remember and we're like what we, like, i re-watched the wizard about a year too. ago during the pandemic um and the power glove come oh, yeah. on so bad i saw it at at the like hippie movie theater in kansas city like 10 years ago with a big old mixed drink in my hand and <laughs> Some sort of mixed popcorn. It was great. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. This episode was written by Melinda M. Snodgrass. You may remember Melinda, of course, from uh, such treasures as Measure of a Man, Up the Long Ladder, etc., etc. This is to be 
her last Next Generation script and directed by Gabrielle Beaumont, who we remember as the first female director of a Star Trek show and uh, director of Booby Trap uh, and now director of this. Jimmy, what was happening behind the scenes? Mentioning Snodgrass. She came up with the whole (laughs) temporal shift idea because Roddenberry was actually a little concerned that the the terrorists have a way to be able to actually get through uh, the enterprise's high tech surveillance. So she had to come up with an idea that could out that, that they wouldn't be able to detect. And the temporal shift was that idea. And then I think most interestingly is uh, this episode did not air in England until 2007 and has still not aired in Ireland. <laughs> Not that they haven't got episodes of it because it was uh, the private stations, the satellite stations were able to get it through. Uh, And of course it was out on DVD, but on the public stations, uh, this episode still has not aired in Ireland. It only aired for the first time in England in 2007. Is it the entire island of Ireland or the Republic of Ireland or yeah. Northern Ireland? RTE. That hasn't seen it? Yeah, RTE. Really? Or the unified yeah. Ireland, as is yeah. referred and to it's in all this episode. Of that one line from yeah. Data. Not the content of the episode necessarily, but. Yeah. That's going to happen in two years. The episode, uh, yeah, the, the reference of the reunification in 2025. They have one hurling team and have for about a decade 32 counties, mofos. That's some pretty powerful stuff that uh, one little line yeah. Yeah. has uh, stopped it from showing. And, and it just goes over most Americans' heads. Even if you know about it, you, you don't really understand how um, uh, irritating or offensive really that can be to some people. And Jimmy, originally the, the plot was supposed to have parallels to the American Revolution. Right, Revolutionary uh, War. Right. Uh, but she was... Uh, encouraged strongly to change it to a, a Northern Ireland analogy, which she was very unhappy about. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting that if we look at the, the a three episode arc right now with this one, and then we have, what was the hunted, the defector, we have three episodes in a row where uh, we have like an anti-hero at the center yeah. and somebody who were, they're sort of the fulcrum. Are they bad or good? And they're playing around with trying to 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 dance on which side, like on both sides, actually. Like, we don't know which side is right. And we'll talk about more about that and how has it affected my opinion of this episode. Aha, aha. I love it. I love it. Eric. Yes. Tell me about what was happening in the casting room. Carrie Keene as Alexana Devos. I, I uh, choose to believe that she is descended from a long line of assholes with that same. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Keene played Susanna Steele. If, if you were a big 90210 fan as I was, she was that swindler who came in and fucked Dylan up so that he went back on the juice. Uh, <laughs> off the wagon and had so much more drama than he might otherwise have had. She had guest shots, uh, guest shots on everything and a recurring judge on The Young and the Restless pretty recently. Great roles on 80s series like The Yellow Rose and Hot Pursuit. And then everything else, a guest shot. Matlock, Jake and the Fat Man, Father Dowling, every detective show I watched with Grandma, Diagnosis, Murder, Murder, She Wrote, Hell Yeah, terrific career. Uh, then you have Richard Cox as the very virile Kirill. Oh, the sexy kidnapper. 
Nice Grey's Anatomy guest star right before lockdown. He's su he was super recurring on Alpha House, which I enjoyed. The Librarians, The Ghostwriter, The Visitor, Loving, Tanner 88, one of my all-time political favorite television shows, and Executive Suite. And if that ain't enough, let's go to movies like Cruising, King of the Mountain, The Vindicator, Hell Hole, Zombie High, and Street Justice. <laughs> and then, of course, all the guest spots of every TV show ever made, like Franklin and or Bash, various CSIs and NCISs, uh, Leverage Bones, The Closer, Crossing Jordan, Cold Case, Numbers, Without a Trace, JAG, ER, The Practice, The Fugitive, Huntress, X-Files, Millennium Law and or Order, LA Law, Murder, She Wrote, Hunter, Scarecrow, and Mrs. King, Simon and Simon, Remington Steel, Camp Grizzly, Rockford Files, Beretta. That Beretta. is a uh, but then we have to talk about Waiter, who got like captured and talked to and then followed, right? This was played by Mark Buckland, who had exactly four, count them, four acting credits, of which this was the, the last. But within five years, this dude was the executive producer on Murder One. And then it was, uh, and then the spinoff that came from that. Then he was the executive producer on Ed, then a bunch of series I don't know. Then My Name is Earl. He did the pilot for Grimm, and most recently Stumptown, which I really enjoyed. Shot in Portland, uh, Portland Wisconsin, and Kobe Smolders. And for those who don't know, Eric was on Grimm. I was on Grimm. I was a beaver. Yeah, he was a beaver. It was a nice little, yeah. nice little spot on Grimm. You were an adorable beaver. Very cute. <laughs> Thank you. And this is the last thing he did as an actor, like I say, but also tons of directing from Santa Clarita Diet to episodes of just about everything he produces. NYPD Blue, Felicity, Providence, and for all of us shit libs in uh, various stages, the West Wing episode, A Proportional Response, which is one of my favorites of that particular series. That's what I got from the guest stars. It was a pretty contained cast, but I thought they did varying degrees of fantastic work. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you all. Well, let's dive into this episode. Uh, we start out with an unusual captain's log where uh, we're not just out in space viewing the outside of the ship. There's, there's life happening underneath here. And what we find out is that the Enterprise has put in to deliver medical supplies uh, on a planet where there are violent protests and shore leave has been prohibited and away teams have been instructed to be armed. So where do we find everybody? Just casually at lunch. <laughs> Just having lunch. Just having lunch. And the three of them eating together. What a heck of a menu they must have there, right? You can, right. You can you got Worf <laughs> and Crutcher and, and a robot. <laughs> and like the, it just is killing me that like the the voiceover over the top is like things are terrible and everything is awful and like and then it's like <laughs> some salt <laughs> wesley's got a big old lollipop you know everything's fine <laughs> do you have any gray poop on i love that data's plate was empty there was nothing on his plate because he doesn't eat. Suddenly there is an explosion and immediately, of course, Beverly goes to help the people uh, and orders Worf to go get things. I love that. <laughs> go get some alcohol. Yes. yes Didn't they, aren't they there to deliver medical supplies? But those were already delivered. <laughs> no, of course, those are already delivered. So he knows exactly where they are. He left them there. 
We hear her yell to someone, it's okay, I'm a doctor. And we see someone go, ha ha. And at first I was like, ah, beware the guy with the gray streak in his hair because they (laughs) are making a big deal out of his hair being, oh, never mind, never mind. I see this now. But uh, Data says we got to go and she will not hear about it. Data, I love that Data immediately tells on her. (laughs) He calls up to the ship and was like, um, we should probably go, but Crusher won't go. (laughs) And Riker's line of like, I don't want to be in the talk I want to be in the transporter room to greet her. (laughs) That's you. That's you, Picard. Not it. Not it. Alive or dead. (laughs) <laughs> and then suddenly uh, a guy teleports in with a gun, uh, like so fast, like pew, pew, grabs Crusher and teleports out, like pew, pew, and then credits. credits what do we ball. think of this opening with the explosions and pew, pews? It's, it's nice and intense. It's good to have uh, a bit of uh, a reversal, like you were saying. With I, I, I immediately started laughing once we went from Picard to they're sitting around having lunch. I mean, it was great. Once the explosion goes, it's like, okay, we're off. Something is going on in there. This guy here, he's going to have a lot to do with happens in this episode. Not so much. Not so much. Also a nice surprise. (laughs) I went on a journey with this entire cold open, really, because I, from the voiceover with Picard talking about the things, for the first time I was like, Oh, good. There's two different peoples on one planet. Jimmy's going to be so happy. Oh, wait, they're terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have. This is the terrorist episode. And how are we going to talk about that? But I love the effect of that transport. How it looks in this digital remaster. It looks so weird and good. It almost looks like a rip in space very quickly. Um, it's very, the the effects on it really hold up. Agreed. I didn't notice it at first. Like, it didn't hit me, but now that you say it, it does it, it does hit me. And there was, when I was reading about what some other people's reactions to the episode was, uh, something I hadn't noticed either was um, somebody had mentioned this was the first time they had a really good use of crowds. And there were a lot of crowds in there, and I didn't notice it. So, I, I mean, I throw that out to you guys because I don't, I don't remember it being truly bad other than times when we've said, oh, well, the, they're talking about what's going to happen to the planet, and there's nine people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's what they're talking about. It's like they try to allude to this is a planet full of people, and then they only show seven. Uh, and this one actually had pretty big crowds around the importance of a big crowd of bystanders in any terrorist attack they didn't skimp on that so at least if they're going to do it 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 would have inspired terror like it it, right yes yeah way to to illustrate it well when we come back from the credits we find out it was not a transporter because there are no traces there should be traces and Riker very frustrated and says people don't just appear and disappear uh, which I just love it when he states the obvious. It just makes me happy. And they also uh, can't detect a signal from Beverly's communicator. So they know by that um, that either she is out of range or something more nefarious. They took it off. Yes. <laughs> Could you trace transporters before? Like, I never knew, like, you'd be able to be like, oh, I, we know exactly where it's coming from. It's coming from over there. Prank caller. I think it was a TNG advent, right? Like, they added that in for this series? I think they just have air tags on them. 
<laughs> Let me check it out on my tricorder app. The only time it would ever come in useful is all the times where there's too much magnetic radiation anyway. So, like, this is the first time they've really mentioned it. Oh, right, because they would have used that to find Jordy. Uh, uh, but yes, you're right. Yeah, On that crazy planet? On that crazy planet. They couldn't do that. They brought that up. The reason they couldn't right. is because of that. Like Eric was saying. The magnetic radiation. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm saying oh. you're right. The tornado of magnetic juice radiation <laughs> in space. Now we go uh, underground into a cave of some sort, and a sexy man order uh, offers Beverly some food. He actually he offers it to her very sexily, <laughs> and he asks her questions, but she will not answer. Uh, but he this tells. This is still the '80s when hair didn't move. Oh yeah. Like, he's wearing a helmet, she's kind of wearing a helmet, and they're just going <laughs> to sit there and talk. Well, it helps that they're underground. Yeah. <laughs> There's no wind. There's yeah. No, no but, but they move their head, and the whole thing just comes with them. It is, it is true. It is very helmety. He does hold that plate so... Yes. Like, it's like he, it's twisting and turning a couple of times and he's like about to throw it up in the air and be like, it's all going to land Toby Maguire style. <laughs> she falls for him immediately. And it's a very interesting choice because he never puts it down and he leaves with the plate. Yeah. So it's all about it's all about power, right? Yep. And, or it's just bad directing. No, because, no. Because I mean, he's, he's making a choice. He's like, you have to take this from me yeah. or you don't get it. I think that's spot on Jimmy because of his turn that he makes later, which we'll talk about, where suddenly he is not so charming. But yeah, find out his name is Kirill Finn, which is like, could you lean any harder on the analogy that you're, oh, gee, are you trying to, I mean, right. at least his name wasn't like Darby, I guess. <laughs> Terrence Trent Darby is my name. <laughs> it would fit right in with that uh, that race of people we met not too long ago, right? The episode That's right. Yeah. Two. The, up the long ladder right yeah. which was also snodgrass sounds like a protestant name <laughs> <laughs> so we go back up to the ship and they are telling wesley everything's fine she's gonna be fine because do, do you know what a bargaining chip is that's what she is <laughs> and he doesn't know what's a what's a bargaining chip bargaining chip <laughs> don't worry about it they're not gonna kill her until they get what they need then they'll kill her don't worry about it it's fine it's fine yeah they don't let uh wesley play um at the poker game <laughs> wes wants to go on the away team but Picard wants him to stay on the ship and help with the new technology. You're good at homework, boy. Just keep on doing your homework. <laughs> <laughs> you can save your mom that way. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. The away team has been rained out, kiddo. You're going to have to stick <laughs> around home base. After, after he leaves, Troy tells Picard he needs your strength. Uh, and Picard says, uh, I think we found that strength may be useless when facing terrorism, which is our first attempt at a blanket statement to make some meaning of this episode. Here is your theme. <laughs> yeah, the first, like a uh, first of many, many platitudes that yes, are spit yes. out for something that's uh, uh, heavy. And, and it's interesting because when you have a series where it's all it's kind of self-contained, usually, self-contained, yeah. It doesn't really spill through. That was the big difference. It's almost like the, the D Space Nine said, we're not going to be like TNG. Because they did the same thing, right? Like, and 
and I haven't watched it. I just read that this was something that Deep Space really dove into was this very topic. Well, sure, the the planet and yeah. and Discovery really does it. They take an idea and they really spread it over a whole season. TNG has a harder time because you're you're dealing with a really big topic in in forty five minutes. They do some more of it when Roe comes in, and we'll we'll deal with it again. Right. You know, in kind of that area. And uh, long may she reign, Ensign Roe. Bajoran. Yeah. Back on the planet, they meet with, what did, did you decide she's DeVos? Is that what we've decided? That's what I've decided. <laughs> and she says the Ansada who took Beverly are animals. They are not human. And she's like, <laughs> basically screams at them. She's already dead. Wake up. She's a, basically a ball of hopeful energy. Uh, what do we think of this <laughs> encounter <laughs> with little Miss Sunshine? Downright fetching. Oh yes. She even pulls later on. She pulls the like. I used to, I used to be a moderate, but they pushed me over the edge. Yeah, they made me this way. Yeah, very uh, one-dimensionally written, but well performed. I will say that I believed her for the most part. And again, like I listened to the actual politicians. Like most of it is one-dimensional. I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, right? The, or the soldiers that they say. Yeah, it's the just, soldiers that are just brainwashed into doing stuff right because that was what was telling was the guy in the beginning he says the same things like you got to get out of here dr crusher Mm -hmm. they're animals they're not you know they're madmen and that is such an otherizing uh stance have you guys you guys have must have seen some of black mirror with that oh yeah that episode which is basically this set in britain uh which basically does you know uh, points at all that even better than this episode i guess Mm -hmm. Perhaps. <laughs> More on the nose. Let's talk know. about that episode. Okay. <laughs> Let's switch. Well, I mean, it's also interesting. We'll get to the scene later, but when, you know, when Crusher tries to say, you know, if we really examine, you know, what what part of responsibility we might hold for this, and and our our protagonist, Captain Picard, is like, no, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, okay, let's take two steps back yeah. and move. Well, we go back down to the cave and Finn comes and he takes her shackles off, offering her the food again. And he's being very charming. You know, do you think it's bothering me? Okay, it's bothering me, right? You know, very, uh, just, um, I, I don't want to say off-putting because that's not what it is. It's uh, it's disarming. There it is. Yes. Disarming. Yeah. And he wants to know, you know, hey, so while I have you here, why are you bringing medical supplies to the other side? And then all of a sudden he turns Mm -hmm. and orders her to get up and he is just a total dick. And that's why, Jimmy, I think you're spot on about that. Like he, he does this kind of stuff throughout to keep her this. It is off putting. It is it is to keep her tip tipped to one side and 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 to the other um where she doesn't know what she's going to get and uh what topics are going to be safe and when those topics are going to be safe and it's it's interesting yeah it, he's a sort of a darker version of roga dinar right he knows exactly what he is he's not self-deluded and he's not like richard the third who thinks he's a hero he knows he's a bad guy this finn and uh he knows that uh, he's he's killed people and that and he he says in this episode you know and I'll I'll kill again probably I should just kill the car <laughs> you know like it's it's very just matter of fact yeah what he's done and who he is I'll save my Richard the Third disagreement for our Richard the Third episode but the rest of it I really liked you <laughs> <laughs> and this is the scene where he does it where where I think the line that she does before is like but we, there were, there were people who were hurt and he's like I know. 
I hurt them. I hurt them. I, I was the one who hurt oh, them. Yeah. And re- that's the like yeah. Uh, yeah, turn right. on a dime that you're like, oh, yeah. this. You're right. He does know exactly who he is and he doesn't care. He's going to use her at however he can. Um, yeah. We'll get to it more. But I think there's also like there is a kindred spirit here. I think it's, it goes beyond just him manipulating. I think she I mean, as we've seen in Crusher from previous episodes, she kind of wants to help people in any yes. way she can. And I think that's what she's seduced by more than his charmingness. Do you think Gason Fadden and Deanna Citrus, Cirrus? Certus. I always say Citrus. Got to look at both of these scripts and get to decide which uh, which roguish bad guy they're going to go for. <laughs> no, I do not think they did. And Gates is like, I'm going to go for Finn. That's in my wheelhouse there. I did have that thought of like, man, I bet Marina Sirtis is, is a little bit like, man, I wish I, I got this script because this is a better script than the one that I think she had with, you know, the guy from Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> That's his name. Ooh. Lloyd Braun. Thank you. Lloyd that's, Braun. that's the one we should <laughs> Well, it is interesting. Like, you don't get much more Irish than Gates McFadden. So I am curious. Oh, I didn't even think of that. It's super interesting. You know, they did they did give her a few of the lines that are sympathetic to the freedom fighters, which is how I would refer to them as well in this particular instance. It's it's an interesting thing to use Ireland as the the stand-in for so much of what was happening in the world. Like we're still in the midst of apartheid South Africa, you know, the, mm. the on the uh, Palestinian front was still happening. There is kind of everything that was happening then is still happening now, not to mention the Ukrainian things that are happening as well. So like, it's super duper interesting that they gave Gates McFadden some lines where she was like, I mean, it's not out of nowhere. Like, you can't pretend it's out of nowhere. And then they everybody kind of went back and brushed that aside and pretended it was out of nowhere <laughs> the rest of the episode. But it was fascinating. When they never asked the question why they weren't given independence. It's a war for 70 years because they wanted independence. And it's never broached, well, what were they really asking for? Like, independence from what? And why can't they have it? It's never asked. It's just uh, brushed aside. Okay. They wanted independence. You didn't want to give it to them. It's a war for 70 years. Uh, we're going to stay out of it. Except for like Finn says, we're going to give medical supplies to one side. That is taking sides. Yeah, right. I mean, I assume they know what the answers are going to be. You know, the what the answers always are in that situation. The, the ones that win say that they've always been there. And the ones that are being occupied say, no, they haven't. Yeah. yeah. I think the Federation is just used to meeting planets that have one government. They're just like, oh, that's all we do. We just do these one government things. And they right, finally right. got one that had more than one. They're like, what, what are you guys I, doing? There was more than one. Uh, what I was, we do? I was sort of surprised yeah. that they didn't go with the like, well, we have gray streaks on the left side of our hair. <laughs> and right. they have gray streaks on the right side of their hair. Except for if you're a woman and then it's a black streak. Yeah, the full snitch. Yeah. With the star. There's an interesting moment where she says, I have a son. And he says, I, you're going to see him. I see no reason to kill you. And it's the most chilling line ever, right? Like, because it's like, but I could. Anyway, uh, off he goes uh, and takes her to see. There's lots of six uh, women and children. She says, I need supplies from my ship. And he says, surprise, 
We've got your medical supplies right here. And uh, we meet our young child for the first time um, who brings the the supplies. And I thought to myself, he's going to become important later. Because you don't work with children if you don't have to. If they're not there to prove a point <laughs> that you have to make later, nobody wants to put up with that on the shooting schedule. <laughs> they were not important enough to get a name, though. This child is not named. Yes, nameless. Or will you use them to show just how bad the other side is? Like when they bring the kids out. And like, <clears throat> oh, make, go, making sure you say how rough. You, I said stand still. No, my <laughs> Moving his shoulders around. <laughs> Back on the planet, uh, DeVos explains that she has no sympathy for the Ansada and then talks about how there was a an incident with the, the uh, explosion that killed 60 school children and that that was sort of the, the big uh, moment for her. Two days after she started or something, right? It, that changed everything. This, this is where it does try to, you know, pull on your strings and you're like, well, you know, they did kill a lot of people. Lot I think it was a real inserted line here for, for that. Well, and especially because that makes it last week's episode, right? Like this, like last week's episode was our, our uh, anti-hero who's very torn about, you know, like, I don't want to kill. I've just been programmed to kill. Whereas this is just much more matter of fact, like. It's a tool of war. Yeah. In the cave, Crusher says that people are dying because their DNA has been altered. Gee, I wonder how that happened. Uh, he explains that with the inverter, which is how they are able to transport so fast, um, it's dimensional shifting. I feel like you should know that if something's called the inverter, it's not something to use on your own body. <laughs> it can't feel good. Like... Yeah, there's a there's a feeling with the transporter that it, it might feel a little bit like a massage. That's not what the inverter feels. <laughs> and did you notice after every time they did it, the uh, leader guy, he's like, a, oh, God, that hurt <laughs> each time. <laughs> the shiver. The shiver. But I kind of liked that there was a cost. Like, they, yeah. they knew, yeah. too. It wasn't, uh, yeah. they knew from the beginning, this is going to kill us, but... Yeah. Uh, we don't, this is our best tool. He's like, our club really took off once we were able to use this inverter thingy. <laughs> well, there are always characters like that, right? You get it in everything from Chernobyl, where you have a certain amount of time that you can to the room without dying, and they make that choice to stay in well right. past that. Or you get the, my favorite are characters in Marvel, like Gentle, who every time he uses his power, it takes away some of his life kind of force. Mm -hmm. And and shortens his life and like his power is so useful <laughs> so it's 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 an there are always yeah. some interesting characters like that and this is how it feels with these with these guys literally sacrificing themselves yeah. even if they don't get killed well finn gets the great line uh, a dead martyr is worth 10 postulating leaders don't you know didn't you know <laughs> I feel like the director told him to be like, D give it your most like sarcastic, over the top James Kirk reading. <laughs> just for fun, we won't use this one. This one's just <laughs> just for just for the color test. <laughs> Didn't you hear? Everyone knows that. We are in engineering now, and our favorite trio, Data, Jordy, and Wesley, are talking about interdimensional travel. And then they have this like very complex conversation with lots of big words. And then Picard comes and just kind of 
hangs there for a little while, which I would find disconcerting if my boss just came to like sit and like listen in on everything was happening. But they realized that the people would show radiation signs and they're starting to figure things out. Of course they are. Wesley's there. (laughs) Well, and his mom's on the line. So he's even, he's working even smarter and faster. (laughs) He's got to fix this. You got to figure it out. He turned a smart to 11. Yeah, that's right. This is not where he finds his notes, though. His notes from a lecture from two years ago. This is the, That's the next scene, I think. Now I can't remember. This might be where he's like, remember that one class I took for two hours? <laughs> <laughs> I had a two-hour lecture, but it's the perfect thing. What was oh, the name of it? Wesley. And I actually liked how that that felt like a uh, a well dramatized way of three people trying to remember one fact, kind of like we do. Um, so it reminded me of us, you guys. Aww. Who is Wesley in this situation? <laughs> <laughs> On the planet, they have arrested the waiter, and they're kind of roughing him up a little bit and playing a lot of bad cop, bad cop. And she says that she is much more benevolent than her predecessor. But in the background, they we see them um, arresting small children. Think of, some, think of the children, and you're right that they are very. They really want you to know that they are being arrested. <laughs> Those small children. I am super being arrested right now. I mean, you you do see a lot of footage in Brooklyn of cops doing this exact thing. <laughs> You know, any chance they get, they do kind of rough up kids. It is true. It is true. Back in the cave, Beverly is just pissed because uh, he is so casual about killing. Like, we go in and he immediately is talking about, like, the next time he's going to kill. Um, And she says, "Uh, we, uh, my society has shown that you don't need to live like that. And he's like, that's super cute and fun for your society. (laughs) and also it's bullshit but also i think you came from a place called america and you you come from revolution i am george washington right this is where the american revolution stuff probably was a lot a lot bigger than this right but this scene i like that this scene is there because you're right it's why it throws that like whole idea we were we were terrorists fighting against our independence against the oppressor and they had to send all those battalions with love while we were oppressing the natives Exactly. So we were doing two things at once. That's right. Also, it's awesome that Finn took time out of his terrorism or freedom fighting, fighting war, to learn a little bit about a small country and a distant planet. A distant and planet. some of their archaic leaders. <laughs> you know, that really, really shows that. I mean, and with the sketching, I mean, this is a very, very well-rounded, uh, well-rounded man. <laughs> He was looking it up on Wikipedia. He just fell down the rabbit hole. He's like, oh, look what's happening here. Someone mentioned that too, because that's in the opening of Picard uh, uh, season two, the first episode. There's like uh, 20th century music playing. And someone just made the comment of like, God, man, is there any other music from any other era that is listened to in Star Trek? It's only us, our pop music. That seems kind of on the nose there. And sometimes it's deep cuts. Like, that's impressive. Yeah, right? Come up with some 23rd century music, but just don't call it what the Star Wars canon calls their contemporary music. Don't do that. It's called jizz. Did you guys know that? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) not. In Jabba's Palace, the style of music that they are playing is called jizz. 
<laughs> All right. Why is that a problem? I, that's awesome. It's not jazz. <laughs> it's jazz. I mean, sometimes it is. Back on the planet, they are questioning the waiter. And Riker, uh, Riker says, we're going to let him go. We're going to let him go. I don't know what gives Riker the power in this to say we're <laughs> going to let him go. I guess he has a penis. I don't know. Because he could he could cross upstage and then downstage angrily. But he says, go back to your people and say that we are willing to negotiate. And then DeVos gets her Emmy award-winning speech about wanting to feel safe. All she wants to do is go home and feel safe. Uh, and she gets to explain her side of things. I just thought it was very interesting that we had these two sort of good actors giving somewhat overwrought speeches back to back <laughs> with their very passionate points of view. That was sort of like somebody was like, oh, we got to put some sort of a point into this episode. And so they just crammed it into these two speeches. I mean that that's exactly why the episode isn't a, a big winner for me is that it's a it's a really heavy topic that's dealt with very lightly and those two speeches uh, are a testament with how much helium there was in the speeches they just they have the weight well that would have been awesome what if they had a helium yeah yeah if they took a big hit of helium right before doing those speeches <laughs> Fuck yeah <laughs> Jimmy, at that point, I assume you'd have no complaints because, I mean, to right. me... Now we're into really farce. Awesome. Yes. Satire and farce. <laughs> now we're like, this is brilliant. Yeah, it's supposed to be skin deep and no deeper farce. Come on. Let's yeah. do it. I love how this scene got cut, though. I do like that she's like, I just want X, Y, this. I want this. <sighs> and she does that big exhale, and they cut it right there. And I like that they didn't have to have Riker respond or even just have her I think an extra line would have just if, if the speech wasn't already ruined for you by thinking it was overwrought I think an extra line would have made it uh, definitely so I realize I am injecting my opinion into my um into my hosting <laughs> of this episode and I apologize As you should. I'm supposed to be the neutral party here they go uh, back up to the ship and Data says I think I can trace them I think I got an idea but in the meantime the Ansada make no sense to Data they're not logical and this is when we get into the sticky conversation of the times that terrorism has worked Irish reunification of 2024. And then the Kinsey Rebellion, which is, you know, something that's made up that I would like to think has something to do with the Kinsey scale of sexuality. Fuck yeah, it should. And that we're and that we're in it right now. We're in the Kinsey Revolution. Thank you. I think we're in the Cannon. Kinsey Rebellion right now. Some fan fiction coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. And he says is is what you're Data says, I think what you're saying is terrorism is acceptable when all other avenues are closed. And Picard's like, yes, well, <clears throat> tea time, everyone. <laughs> he doesn't quite have an answer for that. Because who has an answer for that? Who ha that's, a, that's, that's probably the most hard-hitting question of the entire episode. And they keep having it. This reminds me of when uh, they had the episode that was around the drugs and addiction, where they had to have that scene with Tasha and Wesley that's like, well, sometimes drugs are really good. And they make you feel real good. Wesley, don't do it. Don't try it. But it's real good. You know, and so I, th this was their way to, that's not how that scene went at all. By the way. <laughs> I really but that, you know, they, they had to make it moralized here. So I bet there's, this was a heavy editor's hand when this uh, Melissa Snodgrass's script went through a couple of things. We got to like, well, we can't, 
make sure we're making any stances here about terrorism. Uh, it feels very milquetoast now that you're mentioning all these things. I'm like, man, yeah, they really don't. They're like, let's just ask these questions. We're not going to try at all to answer them for you. The waiter has shown up uh, and says, hey, they, they really want the doctor back. Uh, and she says, you don't want me to go because you want me to be able to reverse the problem. I can reverse your problem for you. Stop using it. Right. She nailed it. Oh, man, my lungs hurt from smoking. Don't smoke. <laughs> yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. Oh, yeah, me too. At some point, he mentions, uh, I forget how they bring up Wesley, but he's like, oh, shoot, is he on the Enterprise? Is he on that <laughs> ship? Ooh, my bad. This is really awkward. But I'm going to kill your son. And then when she's like, please don't, he's like, well, my son died. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> in detention which i realize if you take that scene out of context i mean that means every time your high schooler is in detention they could die yes yes greg detention is very serious <laughs> but it does uh it does raise a serious like point of a 13 year old dying in detention now we're starting to see maybe rough up kids yeah we got those roughed up kids. Uh, and Gates is very nice moment there with hearing about Wesley. Yeah. It, it wasn't overdone. It's, it's not. It's very good. You couldn't see her trying to build herself up to it. She's totally reacting. I mean, it was just a lovely moment with uh, for Gates there. Yeah, agreed. Back on the Enterprise, everyone's just like kind of hanging out and like, you know, like about to like take their coffee break when boom! They ensign a zap on board and start shooting uh, to kill, uh, moving interdimensionally. And then things happen very quickly. There's a great, like, there's just a lot, like, they go to engineering, they go to hallways, they go to other places, a third place. And then <laughs> Jordy wakes up because he's gotten zapped just in time to see an explosive device on the engine core. So let's talk about everything that leads up, which is just a lot of zapping and shooting. What did we think of this action section? There was a particularly good dive out of the way in engineering. However, it was into a hallway, and I guarantee that the person landed with two-thirds of their body still in engineering <laughs> and would have had to continue crawling as quickly as possible so as to actually escape the laser that could easily have just shot them in the ass. Uh, yeah, it's a fun little action sequence, but it I wonder why they couldn't have just interdimensionally uh, sent the bomb instead mm -hmm. of it having to be people delivering it. And they could have done several of those all over the ship, just interdimensionally send any number of destructive devices onto the to the enterprise rather than the people having to do it in that instance you know they had hired a stunt coordinator <laughs> <laughs> yes, of what what was their choice no that really. no i am ashamed of myself for asking that question out loud thank See you yourself thank out. you i don't want to go against uh, jimmy and the, and the terrorism <laughs> Here, you've got, you've got a good idea. That's creepy. <laughs> no, but I, I, this whole sequence is fun because of you get to see the pop in. And, and as soon as you hear the music playing, when you see the extras that you were talking about earlier, okay, I'm like, oh, no, it's about to go down. Like the nice. Axel F kind of synth starts playing. And you're like, there's there's something happening here. Boom! I like where it ends up, too, right? Where they get through and put the bomb on. As soon as you realize that's what they're going to do, it is, it is terrifying because I'm like, shh. 
that's going to blow up the ship. And it's locked on. That's the that's the other thing is it's locked on. He can't get it. And so what does he do? He gets a sonic screwdriver. That is as far as I can tell <laughs> what happens. Nope. I don't know why there isn't a setting on the phaser for that. Right? I mean, I really. Was, I thought of you, Jimmy. I was like, this could have been yet another <laughs> in our added list. Uh, Eleven. Are we sure that's not a phaser once you've like gone like this oh, to it? Oh, right. Oh, maybe. Yeah, like, it could be or maybe even just telescoping like just that and it suddenly becomes that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because I thought he was grabbing the phaser like, you just keep a phaser on your desktop? <laughs> uh, and it was a sonic screwdriver. I, and he puts his he puts his communicator on the bomb, and it beams away. And for a hot second, they're like, "Oh no, Jordy!" Because I guess Jordy's they thought he like show. held on to the bomb. Oh. <laughs> you know how he is. <laughs> he takes his job very seriously. He's he's very depressed. Like he puts <laughs> the front. Ever since his hollow girlfriend left him, he's <laughs> in the doldrums. And he's a big Doctor Strange love fan. Like he's always wanted to ride that bomb. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought I felt bad for Lebar Burton because he has a lot of dialogue to give, and he could have gone a lot faster, right? If you just take the bomb now and put the thing on, go in and transport it. But he had a lot of lines to deliver, and I saw him. I, I, and then the second viewing, I'm like, man, he's actually moving really slow to put the communicator down there, and then he goes like, you know. Comparatively, it's like, man, poor guy. Right? He's like, can they shorten this techno bobble? No. Jordy, can you give us 15 more seconds? <laughs> stretch, stretch. Stretch, just stretch. It's like watching watching one of the uh, improv sitcoms where you're like, they went on a runner and it went so long and the editors are like, I'm sorry, I have to use all of it. <laughs> and you just sit at home going, really? Only four of those were good. Fuck you. <laughs> we go to the bridge and in the zap and Picard decks Finn just lays him out and then he's grappling with him and then away they zap, which is very exciting. It was exciting. That big, you know, right hook that Picard lays it's on. It's great. I love that. I love the fight. I love the hit. I yeah. love that. I love that not only does the hit happen, but then he's like... All right, motherfucker, I've got you on the ground. <laughs> it uncoils on him. It's nice. I was waiting for a little people's elbow there, you know, just to. <laughs> Can you smell what I'm cooking? <laughs> uh, but poor Worf gets like outdueled. Again. 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 Oh, because you're not a badass unless you beat Worf. I guess it was more of a draw since they both hit each other with their phasers. It was a tie. It was a tie. Back in the cave, Beverly sees Picard. It's a nice little moment because uh, of of constraint uh, and restraint. Picard tells tells her that like, hey, we think we're close to being able to trace their movements. So like, everybody on the ship has got you, and you know who's crushing it on board that ship is your baby boy. Mm-hmm. It's your baby boy. He's doing a great job. And then he says a great little thing. I I should have beamed you up. And she says, you wouldn't dare. And then they bicker back and forth. And it reminded me of the old days. Uh, that, that beautiful bottle uh, episode where they... Um... They fell into the sand fleas. Yeah, I love this episode, this scene too, Kay, because it's actually really long. It's like... A good five minutes, six minute scene that goes from like different like movements yeah. within it. It's it, I really enjoyed their relationship growing here. And I think you're right. This is the first time of this season 
that you felt that same closeness that you felt in season one. But you're right, Greg. It goes it, it goes a lot of places. She even this is this is where we hear Beverly stand up for Finn a little bit. And he says, you know, you're arguing for the man who may have killed your son. He he sort of accuses her of potentially having Stockholm syndrome in that moment, too. Yes. I thought that was such a I don't know, reference to Die Hard, right? Huh, that's, this is such a very late 80s thing to say. I think I was in the late 80s when I learned what Stockholm Syndrome was. Right? Because it was, it was everybody was talking about it. Finn <laughs> shows up and accuses the Federation of aiding the other side. Finn has it all planned out. He's like, we're going to get Starfleet to bend to our will. And, I, and I've got you where I want you. Uh, he zaps back to the ship. With a with a dumb demands, he wants an um, an embargo and trade restrictions, and the goes back out. But you know what happens? Winsley Winsley Wesley pinpoints. It is so good. Wesley pinpoints that base. He pinpoints that base. They got him. They know where it is. And Worf shows up, you guys, and he's okay. Good. Because I know everyone was worried. Was everyone worried? <laughs> yeah, I thought he was dead. I mean, I think they've spent their wad on, like, they haven't done anything super bad to anybody since Tasha. Right. I I don't trust him to lose anybody anymore, so I wasn't worried about Worf. <laughs> Troy was very, you know, taken with his him going, we have a medical emergency. Like, they tried to build it up a little bit. I think even Picard in the earlier scene says, Worf went down. I don't, I don't know if he's alive or dead. So they tried to, like... Yeah. Keep that suspense going, like the uh, you know the sick kitten that was brought to the vet. But oh, it was pregnant, and here's babies at the end. That's what I feel when Worf comes back. He's like, I owe it to the captain. It feels like a thing that like <laughs> here's the wrapping up. <laughs> is your analogy that Worf is like a pregnant cat? <laughs> what is happening? Guys, we are losing <laughs> listeners in Finland right now. Okay. They are abandoning us. <laughs> Finland is gone. Back in the cave, Finn tells her that he may have to kill Picard. That brings it down. And he says, I've treated you with respect. And then she says, you've controlled me with fear, which, uh, boom, I'm proud of her. And then she says, it scares me that you might win this fight and gain real power. And then he says, in like the most awkward um, turnabout, he's like, well, I don't want you to fear me. Here's some pictures. My drawings. I made you some, dra- <laughs> I made you some pretty drawings. Oh, my drawings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not creepy. See, this proves it. <laughs> See, this proves it. I haven't been watching you sleep. What? <laughs> <laughs> so then everyone beams into the cave, including the police. They brought the police, which I thought was a dick move. Like, Don't I was like, purple. look, you are saying that you are neutral in this. So maybe just get your get your doctor and go home. But, you know, they bring them anyway. Worf and some cop tase some guys to sleep. That's a thing that you can do. They find a generator. That's exciting, except for they do nothing with it. They're like, there's the generator. Cool. And they try to say, like, that's we're going to knock out the lights before. Like, that was going to be their big plan. But those those lights were not knocked. They were, I could see. It was there was a logo. It was a it was a blue out at best. <laughs> a blue out. Backstage. Yes. Beverly shows Picard the pictures. 
which I thought was, you know, like, like a power move on her part, right? A little flex, yeah. Right? A little bit of a flex. Because he says, have you gained his confidence? And then he says, indeed you have. And more. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's the blue out. Everyone starts taking out the terrorists. Finn comes to kill Picard. And DeVos fucking shoots him in the back. And Beverly watches it happen. She sees that it's about to happen and, and it happens. And then Riker says, you didn't have to kill him. And I'm like, really, Riker? You're the one that's going to make this? Right. You who killed your girlfriend when you didn't have to necessarily? Hmm. Yeah. Knuckle sandwich would have done. Picard was in danger. Like, that's Riker's whole shtick is like, you got to protect the captain. I think that was the only way to really stop him from from killing Picard. Well, since since this new Picard killed the real Picard... (laughs) A little while ago, any of that matter? True. This is true. I true. mean, that's why we got Riker suddenly being all nihilist here. They couldn't have stunned him, Craig. The stunning doesn't work. Like shot him in the in the thigh or the back, or just said, "Hey." <laughs> no, that's true. It is the same thing as the Riker the Riker move from from the Vengeance Factor. Oh my, Eric! Did you say try the melt <laughs> smelt ore? Yeah, setting. the smelt ore setting. <laughs> like that probably won't kill him. Right. I mean, it'll just it'll really hurt. It'll, it'll put a nice scar on his back, which he can use in his martyrdom. Like, look what they did yeah. to me. And then the young nameless boy, who has been helping Beverly, shows up with a gun, and Beverly's like, "No more killing," and he says, "Okay." Because they had had the smallest bit of relationship in Beverly talking at him. Yes. About how, oh, you might be a doctor someday. And they sort of make some sort of a like, maybe this is what the first part of what it takes to heal is one person putting down, one small child putting down a gun. We've convinced one person. Problem solved. Problem solved. We can do this on any planet. It's part of their commercial for the Federation. They use that scene. <laughs> Earlier they mentioned the numbers of of this group. I think they got them all. Like This is all like 200 of them are yeah. all here, all rounded up. If Essentially this movement is over. Mm, I yeah. thought about that. Unless they, you know, put them on like Luna 5 or something like and and then (laughs) give them extra drugs to enhance their memories. But that's what they're saying. Now, this kid is is not too young to be propagandized and educated in the right way. And now we can have a very nice, uh, happy society. Yeah. The kid who just saw all of his friends and family get murdered. They're giving him a Pepsi. No, I mean, it really is. It it hits you in such a terrifying way that this is wrap up this whole thing. It's terrifying. Back on the ship, Beverly is reunited with Wesley and it's lovely. And she thanks him for finding her. And he says, I was just part of the team. Oh, you guys, he's humble too. So cute. (laughs) What a good kid. What a good kid. And that is the episode that we somehow got through talking about. (laughs) Uh, Let's give our final thoughts if we have them. Greg, what are your final thoughts of this episode? Well, I went into us talking about this, liking this episode, but I think I've convinced myself uh, or you've all convinced me that it is, uh, you know, maybe slightly better than mediocre. I'm going to give it five and a half juggling plates of food. It's 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 okay. You're right. It doesn't really it it questions so much about the terrorism and, and, and it gets so close to trying to make a point. You get swayed in one way in one scene and swayed another. So for that, I think it is a good piece of sci-fi because it makes you 
think about issues while having some escapism entertainment at the same time, which is what I, I think Star Trek does best, right? And I liked the cool technology puzzle that needed to be solved and the effects of the, how that thing was done. So I liked all that, but I do think I wish they had the balls to say something more important about this issue rather than just making it question mark. Maybe we did something good. So I'm going to give it that. Uh, Mr. Grattan, Eric, what say you? <clears throat> I come from a very Irish family, very Catholic, very politically involved in the, the state of Ireland before they headed this way back in the early 1900s, uh, some of them. And then some of them went back to Ireland as American citizens and fought in that little conflict there that happened in the 20s and 30s until we had a nice Irish Republic of which we celebrate. Without tactics like this, it wouldn't exist. Um, without continual things like this, it would be one country on the island as opposed to two, still half of it, or the northern less than a quarter of it occupied. Not my business, but I apologize to everyone listening because halfway through the episode, I realized just how plural penis a name our friend Vero Kirill had, who was Richard Cox, and I hadn't... I was useless for the rest of the podcast! Useless! <laughs> I couldn't find a way to work it in, and I was so, so out of it. Thank you, everyone. I give it five overall cocks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, Dick Cox. Jimmy G. I'll give it five Snodgrasses. Uh, I'm mm. sorry to see Snodgrass go. Uh, she's written some uh, of my favorite episodes, and I'm absolutely in love with her last name. And it's a middling episode. Like we've all said, it's uh, uh, it's a really big idea that they don't really take a point of view on, and that's cowardly uh, and is uninteresting. You know, take one side. Maybe I hate the side that you take, but take a side. Uh, and dig in so that we can really get a sense of something. Um, I understand what they were trying to do, like who's right, who's wrong. We're going to show you both sides. But the, the material is just so important and dense, and you can't deal with it lightly or in a very short amount of time. You, you have to allow it to evolve and, and crack it open, and uh, that's just a downfall. The show, I love that the show tries these things, but one 60-minute uh, episode with a bunch of commercials just doesn't allow you to really go uh, where I think most writers would like to. So, you know, pass or watch or not, I'd say not. You don't get anything. Nothing from this episode really uh, it informs the Star Trek universe. Uh, this episode doesn't impact us forward or backwards, so you don't miss anything by not missing this one episode. So uh, give it a pass. That is unless season two of Picard is about the Irish Unification War of 2024. <laughs> Correct. And I'm going to use um, some some words of some folks who were involved with this because I was like unsatisfied with this episode and I couldn't figure out why. And then other people put it into <laughs> words. Ronald D. Moore described it as an abomination. <laughs> It says, it was our one terrorist show. We didn't have anything interesting to say about terrorism, except that it's bad. 
He goes on to say some other things. And then someone observed that the problem was the process. Very rarely do we start thinking about an episode in terms of an issue. Let's do a show about AIDS. Let's do a show about terrorism. We rarely think in those terms. We usually think in terms of neat science fiction twists. And that's what sends us in the direction of what the story is about and who's in it, which is an interesting thought that it, I think it comes down for me. I want to know what Snodgrass's original script was like before it was pigeonholed into sort of like well we've got to forget that let's make it let's make it this instead Mm -hmm. sort of to make it a an issue of the week kind of a a, an episode and it just falls a little flat for me that's interesting like i think a an episode about a criminal gang of five people who have this technology would be super interesting you Mm -hmm. know yep if they want it to be the sci-fi element like that's super something I want to hear these writers uh, weigh in on yeah. uh, ethics of this new un unregulatable technology. Like that's interesting. Yeah. But you're you're all right. Like the idea of Star Trek taking on terrorism in forty five minutes is <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> and that's why I give it five inverters. Oh, no. Yes. Yes. Uh, So there it is. That is our take on the high ground. Join us next week. I'm very excited for next week when we have a little Deja Q. The return of Q. Speaking of return of Q, is that the return of wet pants? (laughs) Oh, it is. They're mine. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 